And which is why I didn't want you to sit down, pop up again, and then sit right back down. So if you would, uh, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, and you'll also find it on the overhead. I'm just going to read Romans chapter 6, 12 through 14. Starting in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. You may be seated. I would ask you to imagine along with me today. Um, let your mind go back to the last medieval uh, movie or book that you've read, because um, I want to kind of get into the medieval time uh, in, in our minds. And I want you to imagine what it would be like to be living in the medieval period um, with a, a medieval king. And let's imagine. Uh, in this scenario, that the, the king is benevolent, he's powerful, uh, but, but he's also good. And I want you to imagine that you yourselves are a, are a, are a tenant farmer. So let's say that the king has granted you land to, to work. And, and with this land that the king has given you, he's also given you crops. Uh, he's given you his own livestock. And your goal is to tend those. And of course, the king would get a portion of, of what you produce you imagine, too, that the king has commands for all those living in his realm and you obey those commands and, and you receive blessings from the from the king. There are there's a lot of uh, enemies uh, in the surrounding areas. So one of the benefits that you get as a as a tenant who is who is devoted to the king who's reigning in the realm is that you get his protection. So you don't have to worry about raiders coming in and, and destroying your land and, and harming you. You have the protection of the king. The king's also pledged to provide for you and your family. Um, if there's a famine, he has extra stores and he provides those to you. Uh, he gives you protection. He gives you provision. You have a place. Um, now, there are some requirements that the king makes of you. So if, for example, the king decides to go off to war, there's, a, there's an army and the king wants to go conquer, he's going to call on you and you're going to go fight with him. You're pledging your allegiance to him uh, against all other kings in the area. It's a, it's a mutually beneficial relationship, um, this, this relationship that you have with the king who reigns over you. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to kind of, kind of develop this imagery of, of a medieval king reigning is because the, the language we have in the passage today is the language of reign, of kingship. Of dominion, And so what I wanted to do was sort of unpack that a little bit. And hopefully we'll do that throughout the lesson because I wanted us to think, what does it mean to have a king reign in our lives? If you look at uh, I've got a slide here that, that kind of breaks down the language of, of this passage. And I've, I've highlighted the, the language that, that kind of brings out this this kingship idea. So first of all, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. So that you obey its passions. You do not present your mem members as instruments. You, you present yourselves to God. Instruments for righteousness. Sin will have no dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but you're under 
grace. So this whole passage is packed with imagery of being under the rule of, of a king. And what we're going to look at today, and here's the, the big question, is, is which king you are serving. You might be thinking, okay, I don't like this idea of being under somebody, under a king. I'm my own man. We live in America, right? And there's, this is a democracy. This freedom is what we believe in. It's one of the highest virtues of our country, which is true. But in a larger sense, you're going to serve somebody. As, as the, the, the Bob Dylan song goes, you're going to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan was wise. And, and that's what we see in this passage, too. You're going to serve somebody. Uh, freedom, complete autonomy, is not an option. Now, in this passage, rather than the two options being the devil or the Lord, what we see is that in this passage, the two options are you're going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve sin. Sin or the Lord. There's no neutral ground. There's no... Well, I'm just going to kind of find somewhere in the middle. No, you're either serving the Lord or you're serving sin in your life. Either the Lord's reigning in your life or sin is reigning in your life. So the good news about this passage is it's fairly simple. There's not a whole lot to pull out in terms of interpretation, which leaves a little bit more for application. So my my hope today is that we can really break this down to where you can reflect upon the, the upon the question, which is reigning in your life? Is it sin or is it the Lord? The sermon outline is pretty simple. We're going to have uh, one general command. All right. Uh, we're going to break it down into three specific applications and then one basic motivation. And that's that's what we're going to do today. And really, my hope is that you come away with with a lot of reflection on where you are today in terms of serving the Lord, in terms of him reigning in your life. Well, let's start in verse 12. The very beginning of verse 12, the first command, this is the general command that we're going to look at today. It's very simple. Don't let sin reign. Don't let sin reign, but instead, this is the implicit command, let God reign. Romans 6, 12a says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. The first uh, one verse prior in verse 11, what Paul did was he gave this, this very broad sweeping command. The command was this, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Well, you might think, well, what does that mean? What's a practical application of that? Enter verse 12. Because you are dead to sin, but alive to God, then don't let sin reign in your life. Because you're dead to it, Paul says. Don't let sin reign in your life. Now, on the slide, I've got some pictures. No, keep going back to, to that one. Yeah, I've got some pictures. And so for the children in here, I would encourage you, if, if you're interested, I like to doodle. So if, if you're like me and you like to doodle, go ahead and, and doodle some, uh, so, uh, some pictures of, of, of two different crowns representing two different kings. The king of sin or the king of God in your life. Parents, you can kind of go through this later with your with your child and help them unpack the, the meaning. But uh, throughout, I'll, I'll give you a couple of suggestions on how you can um, how you can children, how you can kind of follow along with me interacting. So rain, the, the word is let not sin, therefore rain in your mortal bodies. And uh, of course, this is this kingship language. Like we've said, it's just to rule it's to be like a king. One, one dictionary defines it as to exercise sovereign power 
or controlling influence over something, being the dominant or controlling factor. Now, it's interesting, sin is sort of there's a personification here of sin. Sin is a force that's active, that has a will. Sin wants to dominate your life, according to the, the, the caution that we see in this verse. It's kind of like if you can imagine, if you remember the old uh, Uncle Sam posters, you see Uncle Sam on there, Uncle Sam wants you, and he's pointing the finger right at you. And I think in a sense, what we see here is that sin wants you. Sin wants you, the, the, the danger, the caution that Paul gives us, don't let sin reign, implies that sin wants to reign in your life. There's this active force. Now you might say, well, how can sin really reign? Isn't sin something that we do? Isn't it kind of like don't steal, don't lie, go to church? You know, these, these actions, you know, we, we, we want to obey God where he commands us to like go to church we, we, we don't want to, you know, you know, stay at home and just, you know, never worship together. That would be maybe sinful. Uh, stealing, lying, murdering. Those are sins, right? Those are actions we do. Right. That, that is one sense of the word sin. But there's another sense. It's sin is an action, but sin is also a principle or a condition. All right. Sin is a principle or a condition that we're born into. You might think of it this way. Sin is a disease. So on the one hand, we have sinful actions, but on the other hand, sin is a condition, a disease. And the reason that you do sinful actions when you do them is because you're diseased with sin. And in that sense, when you think of sin as a disease or a condition, that's how it can reign in your life. Think of it this way. Um, think of cancer as a disease. Now, cancer is a principle all right, in, in the body. It's, it's, it's when cancer is present it does have a, a ruling influence on the rest of the body. It starts breaking down and, and health leaves uh, and a sickness of, of all kinds come because of this principle of cancer. Sin, in a similar way, is a spiritual cancer in our lives. And that's how it can have a reigning influence. The caution, of course, is don't let it rain. That says don't let it rain in your mortal bodies. And one scholar who was commenting on this passage, Douglas Moo, said the word for, for body here isn't necessarily a physical body. It, it can mean physical, but it means much more than that. Um, so the caution here, according to Douglas Moo, and I agree with him, is, is not just don't let sin reign in your body, but let's, don't let sin reign in your entire being, in your mind, in your heart, and in your body. In summary, don't let sin exercise a dominant influence in your life. You know, for those of you who may be undecided on the Bible as an authority, you know, really, do we, we're, you're talking about the Bible, but who's to say the Bible is right? Well, I'd suggest one thing, and this is not a proof for the Bible in all ways, but it's, a, it's something that I think you should pay attention to. The Bible is really good at explaining reality as we experience it. The Bible is really good at explaining reality as we experience it in a way that I would argue many psychologists, many sociologists are not able to do. The Bible is very clear about sin and the reality in life. So, for example, consider the reality of addiction. The whole idea of addiction is that you have a, a, a habit or you have a chemical. There's something in your body, some behavior that is it's raining in your life, it has control and authority in your life. 
the Bible says, in a sense, sin it's, by its very nature is addictive. So just consider how good the Bible is, how good God is through the Bible at identifying the experiences we have. I think all of us could say at times we don't want to do things and yet we find ourselves doing them. Or we really want to do something, but we can't bring ourselves to do it. There's this authority, there's this control. Now the warning here is don't let sin reign. Now the flip side of the coin, this is kind of the implicit command in here, is that while you don't let sin reign, you do let God reign. Let God be king of your life. And, and this is really consistent with all of Scripture. From the very beginning, God is shown as the king over all creation. Genesis 1, God is king, and just like a king, he issues a decree. He just speaks the word, and all of a sudden, creation occurs. Just by the power of his words, the great king of all creation speaks, and so it happens. That's Genesis 1 in Revelation, the very end of the Bible. On the front end and the back end, what we see is God in Revelation is the king who will come to judge the earth on the last day. He is the great king. And all in between, over and over and over again, you see this image of God being king over all creation. He speaks commands as a king. And we obey or we disobey to our detriment. God is the one who's in control over all things. He's in control of the nations. He's in control of, of, of the, the animals. He's in control of people. He's in control of all things. He's the great king. Now the problem is that sin comes in and muddies the water. What sin does is it takes the reality and, and it skews up our, our perception. Paul says, don't let sin reign in your life. But instead, let God reign. What sin does is sin comes in and messes with our mind to the point that we think God truly isn't reigning. So sin comes in and it, and it, it through its deceit, makes us ignore God. It makes us disobey God. So even though God is real and there's nothing we can do, no, no matter what we think no matter what we do, the reality stays the same. God is sovereign king. Yet in your life and in mine, when sin comes, we act as if that's not true. We ignore it. We disobey. We act in a way that's inconsistent with the fact that God is sovereign king. That's where sin comes in. When we were created, when Adam and Eve were first created, it was clear. God created them to worship him as sovereign king, and they did. They did. They were able to worship God as the sovereign king. And yet, if you know the story, they sinned, and all of a sudden, that clear relationship of servant to king, it's destroyed. Sin comes in and messes it up. Sin comes in and skews the picture. So no longer are they in allegiance to the king, but they're in allegiance to themselves, to sin, to Satan, to the world. That's the fall. But God, in his mercy, says, I'm not going to leave you in this misery. God says in his mercy to his people, I'm going to come rescue you out of this miserable condition that you find yourselves in. I'm going I'm to rescue you out of your slavery to sin. And so he does. He comes in. And through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, he offers freedom for the slaves. 
freedom for those who are enslaved to sin. And so, if you are a follower of Christ today, if you are someone who professes faith in Christ, if you are someone who's trusting in Christ alone for salvation, what you have is a new life. And in this new life, it is possible to to pledge your allegiance to God. But the problem is that every day you wake up, there's this war. There's this battle going on. One day in heaven, you will be able to worship God as king and there will be no rivals. One day in heaven, you will not be tempted to worship sin, to, to, to follow sin, to trust sin, to, to worship yourself. There will be a clear undivided allegiance. But we're not there yet. And in the meantime, what we have is a battle. You and I wake up every day and there's a battle between serving the Lord and serving sin. I don't know if, if many of you are, are epic movie fans. Like Lord of the Rings, for example, continues to be my favorite trilogy. I love watching Lord of the Rings. And you have these wonderful battle scenes. There's these epic battle scenes where you have orcs and you have men and elves and they're fighting one another. And it's, 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 it's violent, it's bloody, but, they're, but good triumphs, Right? It's, it's real, it's palpable, it's significant. And that is, that is a picture, Scripture uses warfare as a picture for what happens in our lives, in our hearts, in our families, in our relationships, at work. Warfare. The battle between sin and, and serving sin and serving the Lord, on the other hand, is so real for the Christian that it's, it's, it's like an epic war each day of your life. One day that won't be the case, but for now it is. To take it seriously is, is a step in the right direction. And, that, and to take it seriously, this warfare, it plays out in the very specific mundane even moments of our lives. I like what Paul David Tripp says. He says, you know, you and I don't have many big moments in life. At the end of your life, you're going to look back and there's going to be very few big moments. You know, there may be a day when you get married, there's a day you graduate, a day you have kids maybe, uh, a day you get a big promotion in your job. But those moments are going to be few and far between. For the most part, our lives are composed of small moments. Our lives are composed of details. But as a result, if if God isn't the Lord of the details in your life, then he's not the Lord of your life. This big epic battle plays itself out in very specific moments in your life. Well, you might say, well, okay, but tell me more. What does this mean? So God reigns or sin reigns in our life. But how do I know? Well, I'm going to suggest that there's three specific applications. Three specific applications in this text as to what it means for sin to reign in your life. Or, on the other hand, what it means for the Lord to reign in your life. Romans 6.12b says, sin makes you obey its passions. The warning is, don't let sin reign in your life so that you will obey its passions. So first of all, what does this mean specifically? If, if God is going to reign in your life, God, you're going to need to let God reign in your passions. The word obey in this context, could be deceiving. You might think of obedience as kind of calculated. It's mental. It's an assent. It's, it's very, you're clear-headed and then you make a choice to either obey or disobey. It's, 
It's cold and calculated. But in this context, it's not like that at all. In this context, the obedience is in terms of passions. There's this fire in you compelling you in a certain direction. So I would suggest that that when it says, do not let sin reign in your life to make you obey its passions, the emphasis is truly on the passions, the desires, the longings that are in your heart. So here's my, my question to you is what do you do with the passions in your heart? What do you do with the longings, with the desires, with the wants that are in you? Remember the picture of the great king, right? So you're this medieval king and you're, you're this tenant, you're the servant of the medieval king and you're going to have passions and those passions aren't always bad. There's a lot of good passions, but the question is, how does the king feel about those passions? You have desires, but what are the king's desires? Because if the king has other plans, you're called to submit your desires to him. You're called to lay your desires at the foot of the king and let his desires guide you rather than your own. Here's an assessment question for you. You know, there's we've got all these assessment tools out there. You can assess whether you're, you know, what kind of personality type you are. You can assess whether you have ADHD or your kid has, you know, your child has ADHD. There's all kinds of assessment tools. Well, let me give you a, just kind of a, some assessment questions to go alongside this. Um, question, what are your passions? What do you want? What do you crave right now? And I, I want to encourage you, not just the bad stuff. What do you crave that's good? Because there's a lot of good passions. What do you really want? Let me suggest a few. And I would encourage you to, if you have a pen, write down. It, I'll tell you, it took me this week a bit of reflection. I'm so busy that it actually took me a while to kind of think through, what do I really want? What are my passions? Because I was reading this. And, and there's a strong warning. Don't let sin make you obey the sinful passions of the body. What are my passions? So it took me a minute, but here's some suggestions. Uh, and, and these are many of these are good passions. Comfort could be one. That's always one of my top ones. Comfort, pleasure, recognition, praise, friendship, companionship, romance, power, influence, money, excitement, rest. There could be many more, of course. What are you craving right now? What, what are you desiring? What are you thinking? If only I had this, it'd be all right. Those are the passions. And many of those passions are not bad. God gives us emotion. He gives us a heart. He gives us longings. But the question is, what are we doing with this? Are we blindly obeying those passions or are we submitting those passions to the Lord? Yesterday, I was sitting in Panera Bread and I was sitting in Panera Bread because my week has been very crazy and I did not have as much time to devote to my sermon throughout the week as I wanted to. Hence, I'm sitting in Panera Bread and as I'm sitting in Panera Bread, I'm thinking through my passions and I'm I'm thinking through my week and it's just uh, kids have been sick all week, all week and all of them. And uh, I know for, for many of you, this is pales in comparison to what you're going through and I won't pretend to that, that, that it's that it trumps what many of you are, are suffering with. But, but for me, it's been a crazy week. And I'm exhausted. We haven't slept good. You know, I haven't slept well throughout the week. And I'm sitting there in Panera Bread, and I'm just I'm, I'm anxious, thinking about a whole host of different things. And, uh, but I, I stop and I think, okay, so what, what truly, what am I desiring? What are my passions? And as I broke it down, I thought, well, at least three things. I'm, 
I am craving at that moment. One is comfort. Two is rest. And three is excitement because in the midst of a very mundane week of just kind of caring for kids with snotty noses and coughs and, you know, up many times at night. This is mundane. This is detail work. This is, I want something more exciting than this. So those are some of the passions that I'm... I, and and it, as I thought about this, I realized, you know, I'm blindly following these throughout the week. Most of my week has truly, in, in contrast to what Paul commands us, I've been blindly following these. So at that point, what it took for me was to sort of, in my mind, take those passions that I had and lay those down at the foot of the king. So in my prayer, I'm, I'm asking God, God, I, I want to present this to you because I haven't been submitting these passions, these desires, these wants to you throughout the week. Father, give me your perspective on these. And the result for me was a slow process of change, which included recognizing, first of all, that God is my comfort. I'm craving comfort in food, television, entertainment, just anything I can do to check out. That's my comfort. God is my refuge. He's a greater comfort for me. God is the one who gives me rest. God is the one who gives rest in the midst of crazy circumstances. And God is the one who gives us fullness of life. I'm craving excitement. God has something even better for that, for me in life. So first of all, you need to let God reign in your passion. Secondly, you need to let God reign in your resources. The passage says, that the verse says, do not, let, do not present your members to sin. Now, just like we said, the body doesn't necessarily mean a, a physical body. The members don't mean body parts. And there's a couple other uh, times when, when the, the, the word members is used, and it's clearly not a physical member. And in, uh, in chapter 7, several times that, that word is used. And I would also agree with Douglas Moo when he says this, um, the members would mean natural capabilities rather than just limbs or parts of the body. Members would be faculties, resources that we have. Again, the, the big picture here that Paul is trying to communicate to us is that in all of our life, in everything that we are, we need to let the Lord reign. But when you break that down, that means letting God reign in your mind, letting God reign in your time, letting God reign in your strengths, letting God reign in your gifts, your resources. This was good for me to to remember um, this week as well. And, and again, think back to the king analogy, right? A medieval king is going to require your resources, your time. When he commands you to do something, you're going to drop what you're doing and go serve him. When he when he uh, asks for for the money that that he that is that's due him, you you give him your financial resources. When he asks you to come help him, you come. You give him your time, your talents, your treasures. So my question to you is this. How are you using your resources? Are you devoting your resources to the Lord? Or are you devoting your resources to yourself? Are you devoting your resources to sin? Again, as I was in Panera Bread... It was good to think about. It was good to think about this past weekend and how much time I was not necessarily in a blatant way devoting my resources to sin. But this week, I've been my mind has been spinning all week, but it's not been spinning uh, thinking of ways that I can please the Lord. It's not been spinning thinking. through. I'm not racking my brain to think, how can I love others more? I'm racking my brain to think, how can I make it through this awful week? 
You know, how can I get the, the, the little comfort here and there in the midst of just a difficult week for me? What I'm not doing is thinking, Lord, how can I serve you? I'm not devoting my mental resources to serving the Lord. I'm not devoting my time to serving the Lord in my free time, which there was not much of. But when I had free time this week, I'm checking out, doing whatever I can to kind of, you know, just stop thinking about this week and and the sickness that just kind of sits in our house right now. Um, My motives, my motives were not pleasing to the Lord. Much of what I was doing this week was for men's praise, not for the Lord. Not only that, but in the midst of a crazy week, I'm 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 not spending money wisely. You know, I'm at Panera Bread, right? I'm not getting a cup of coffee. I'm getting a cup of coffee and a cookie, you know, or a cupcake or a muffin, you know, which is throughout the week. I had multiple opportunities to get all of those, actually. But um, so I'm not I'm not using my money wisely. Now, what could I have done with that money instead if I'm sticking to my budget more faithfully? which I should be doing, then there's more room to give to others. There's more room to use that money for the Lord. If God's going to reign, he's reigning your passions. He needs to reign in your resources. But finally, he needs to reign in your influence as well. The verse says this. It says instruments for righteousness and instruments for unrighteousness, for unrighteousness and instruments for righteousness. The word for instruments is, is a word for tools and it's a word for weapons. Weapons of righteousness, weapons of unrighteousness, weapons for evil, weapons for good. Offer yourselves not to sin as a weapon for evil. Offer yourselves to God as a weapon for good. Remember, there's this image of spiritual warfare that pervades the Bible. Spiritual warfare is a reality in our lives and not just in an invisible world of angels and demons clashing swords. Spiritual warfare is is. It's real in the details of our life. It's real in the relationships that you have with your spouse, with your friend, with your co-workers, with your neighbors. Spiritual warfare is, is real. God is desiring to use you as a weapon for good in spiritual warfare. Think about this. What kind of impact can you have in the variety of relationships that you find yourselves in? Every one of us is in a different state with relationships. Some of us, we're, we're celebrating Mother's Day. Some of us are, are, are mothers. Some of us are fathers. Some of us are wives, husbands. Some of us are children. Some of us are single. Some of us are teenagers. Some of us are college students. We have a whole host of different relationships. In every one of those relationships, God would desire to use you to spread his love, to spread his truth, Back at Panera Bread, I'm thinking through how I've been using my time this week, recognizing that I have been incredibly self-focused this week. My mind's been spinning all week, and I'm thinking about myself. I'm racking my brains for a way to manipulate my situation to get more comfort for myself in the midst of a chaotic week. And as I'm sitting there praying about this and coming to the Lord and asking Him to, A, forgive me, B, give me an ability to look outward more. I wrap up my time with, at Panera Bread. I go home, and at home I have four people who are waiting for me. And I get home, and I'm thinking at that moment, okay, this is the opportunity that I've been praying for. I get home, and I have people to love. I am able to, you know, this is an opportunity for me to put my selfish desires on the shelf. What if I'm just committed to loving my kids, loving my wife? What if I'm committed to thinking more about them than myself? We go to the park 
And at the park, again, you know, that's that's a, it's an easy time for me to just sort of sit back and let the kids run around. And that would be the natural time to let my mind start stewing again about myself. But I thought, but what if, what if I'm going to be devoted to my kids now? What if this will be an opportunity to love them, to care for them? So I run around on the, on the, you know, monkey bars and the slides and, and all the things th- with, with my kids. Someone else walks up with, with another, another child. It was an elderly man and he had a, he had a seven year old boy with him and, um, he sat down next to us on the bench. Same thing. My natural, I'm not an, I'm not an extrovert. So in those kind of situations, I'm kind of like, you know, give him the nod and kind of keep, keep going. I'm thinking though, God wants to use me as an instrument for good, as an instrument for righteousness. What if this is an opportunity to love this man? Who knows where he is spiritually? Who knows what he's going through? So I, I start up a conversation and we start talking. And we, he starts sharing some of the struggles that, that he's had in his life and how he's basically raising his great-grandson. And we start talking. I'm able to love him and I don't know what kind of impact. I, I, I'm not suggesting that it was monumental by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But what struck me was the opportunity that I all week have missed. My entire week I've missed opportunities like that. To be used by God as an instrument for righteousness. But that's God's desire for us. To be used as instruments for righteousness. If God's going to reign in your life, which Paul is commanding us to let him reign, he must reign in our passions, our, our resources, and reign in our influence with other people. But here's the motivation. Here's the hope. And this is, this is the closing. The last verse says this, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the hope. If the challenge is, it's funny, the challenge is don't let sin reign. And the motivation, the very last verse, two verses later, says this, Sin shall not reign in your life. Sin will have no dominion. This is a promise to us as Christians. The promise is that because of what Jesus came to do, We're not slaves to sin. The reality, whether or not we choose to believe it, the reality, whether or not we choose to behave as if it's true, is that if you are a Christian, God is the Lord of your life. If you are a Christian, God is your king. And he has broken the back of sin in your life. Sin can be a pest to you. Sin can be a temptation. Sin can be something that bothers you, an annoyance. But sin cannot be your king. There may be areas in your life where sin exerts more influence than it should. The command to you, the challenge to you is recognize that that sin is broken. You're not a slave. You're not shackled to that sin. Let the Lord walk you in freedom. God has given us freedom from sin. He has done it. He already reigns in our lives. Sin has no dominion because of what Christ has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful message, this, this passage in Scripture, these three verses which remind us, which orient us to life, reminding us that we are not slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. We are not serving sin. We are serving righteousness. We're serving you. God, thank you that you reign over all creation. Father, I pray that the reality that we 
that we know is true as Christians would become more evident, more visible in our lives as we submit different areas of our lives, as we submit our resources, as we submit our passions, as we submit our influence to you. Father, redirect us, redirect our resources, our passions and our influence to serve you so that your gospel would go forth, so that your love would be made known. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Truly, my petty concerns pale in comparison to what many of you guys are going through. Um, one of the ministries we have this church is a prayer ministry. Uh, so I would invite uh, a few of the care team members and elders forward. If you'd like to have someone pray with you, you just want to share something that's on your heart, um, I'd invite you to come forward after the service. And we'd love to pray with you and lift you up to the throne of God. There's this really dramatic scene in Lord of the Rings, right? Last, last Lord of the Rings plug for the day. There's this really dramatic scene in the first Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. They're running through this underground tunnel and there's this demon that's chasing them. There's this beast, this monster chasing everyone. And Gandalf, this wizard, he, as they cross this bridge and he turns to face off the monster. And the monster is going to destroy uh, all, of his, all of his companions unless he does something. So he looks at the monster, he takes his staff, and with some of the most authoritative words anyone has ever spoken in a movie, he slams the staff down and says, you shall not pass. It's just dramatic, and it's, and it's authoritative, it's full of power. And as I read that last verse in Romans six fourteen, for sin shall have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. There is a word of authority there. There is a sense of power. Sin shall have no dominion over you. Because of the grace of God, that's true. Let me read to you the benediction. For the grace, the Lord Jesus, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.